there, and welcome to episode 24 of the Beneath the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is NFL Network reporter and former NBC Sports Boston reporter, Mike Chiardi. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Robbie. Now, Mike, as I said before we started, we, we will get to your career in a little bit, but we have to start with the Patriots and Antonio Brown. For those who don't know if this is even possible, Antonio Brown was released from the Raiders after a series of bizarre events, and he recently signed with the Pats. I know you tweeted a couple days ago that the Pats had interest in Brown in the winter, and his recent behavior seemed to not change anything about the Patriots in terms of having this guy come on. What was your reaction when you heard the news, and did you like the move by the Pats? Uh, my, re- <laughs> my reaction was, boy, my life just got a lot more complicated. Um, <laughs> But uh, off of that, no, I mean, look, he, he's he's an obviously uh, as good a talent as there is in the league at that position. Um, he His production is basically unmatched. And, you you know, my, my thing is you raise questions about how he handled his business and how he handled his business in Pittsburgh. But uh, as we heard from Bill Belichick today, I wasn't in either of those places, he said, you know, and you guys all said the same thing about Randy Moss when he came here. So he was sort of thumbing his uh, his nose up at us saying, we'll make it work. And I think the interesting thing to me is it, it comes down to job security. And nobody has more job security in professional sports than Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick, it's going to be his way. He's going to do it. And if they, if Antonio wants to get along with that program, then it'll be great. And if he doesn't, then Bill Belichick will say, well, we lost money and that's it. And we move on. And I did hear Bill Belichick's press conference today, and obviously Randy Moss had some issues. I don't remember everyone specifically, but it seemed like Antonio Brown is a different case of a nightmare. How do you think this will end with him and the Patriots? So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the he makes it through the year because I think there's just yeah. too much uh, there's too much at stake for him. You know, he wants another contract. I know there there is that option year that he has with the Patriots, but I believe that this is a one year relationship. Um, so he he needs to make more money. And so I think it's incumbent upon him now, after shooting his way out of Pittsburgh and Oakland in the last six months, to make it work here at least for a year. I, I, I find it hard to believe that he'll make it through the year without some, some hiccups. But I think at the end of the day, there's just too much money at stake for him to screw it up that badly. And obviously the talent with him, no one can argue with that. But after seeing the Pats come off a easy 33-3 to win, on Sunday night, they look really good without him. And I want to talk about the game and the Pats a little bit with you before we transition to your career. As I said, I thought they looked as sharp on a game one to start the year as I've seen in a long time. Brady looked great. I thought the receivers looked good. Josh Gordon, Dorsett. People were joking on Twitter that maybe it was an Antonio Brown and Dorsett jersey because Dorsett really came ready to play. The defense looks unbelievable. Like the only negative was the backup center. His snaps were a little slow. It didn't seem to affect Tom. But what did you make of the Pats win on Sunday night? How good do you think this team can be compared to past year? And they just won a Super Bowl last season. Yeah, well, I mean, I know Patriot fans will be like, oh, I can't believe you said this. But the first <laughs> thing I thought about that game was, boy, is Pittsburgh stupid. And they're still <laughs> stupid. And it seems like they're always going to be stupid. I, I, I can't, for the life of me, when you have four months to prepare for a game like this, and you have the, obviously, look, the Patriots unveiled some stuff that, as we said, we talked about it all summer long. You know they're going to have some stuff for that opener that no one's seen before that we can't even project on them. Pittsburgh has the same option to do that. <laughs> and what they did was the same stuff that they always did. So I just, that's staggering to me. 
but I think the one thing that was reinforced for me about the Patriots' performance was I thought this defense jumped into the elite class late last year. And I know they always say new year, start afresh, blah, 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 blah. Last year meant nothing. That's BS. Last year meant something. I think they realized what they had there. And now they're building off of it. And I think you saw that. That was a dominating performance, a suffocating performance. You know, they didn't need to sack Ben Roethlisberger because guys just weren't open. Secondary was phenomenal. I think their secondary is the best secondary in the league. And I don't even think it's close. So to me, that's the thing that, again, just hammer it home that you always worry about Brady and McDaniels and what they can craft. But the the scary thing for, for opponents now is that it's it's that defense is that defense is their better unit. They're better than the offense, in my opinion. I agree, and for me, that was definitely the most startling thing. Just the tackling, and especially as you said, the defensive backs. I know Ted Johnson, who's on ninety-eight-five, the Sports Hub, has said that the defense is almost as good as the '04 defense. I think he backtracked his statement a little bit. Initially, he was comparing them to the '04 defense, but do you think it's a bold statement? Is this going to be one of the top defenses we've seen in the Brady Belichick era? So they don't have the same uh, disruptors in the interior that that group did. And not to right. say that the group that they have now is not good and, and capable in some cases of, you know, because of some of the youth of being better uh, or getting better. But I think it's close. I really do. I think there's I, – I definitely think the secondary is better. And I think you're looking at that secondary. There's two guys in the Hall of Fame, and that's or one guy in the Hall of Fame, and Rodney Harrison who should be in the Hall of Fame, uh, and will probably get there eventually. So I know that's – that's bold, but I just think they have so many different ways to match up with you that even that group didn't have. So I think it's going to be close. I think they got a chance. Now, last question for you about the Pats before transitioning to your career. We'll talk about Rob Gronkowski very briefly because for me, honestly, it's a little annoying. I don't know how you feel as a media member. His teases every week. He just was on Barstool on social media joking that he'll come back, kind of said week eight or something like that. As a media member, what do you make of Gronk's shenanigans in do you think he's going to come back to the team? He's a very smart businessman. Yes. You, know, you, step, you step away from the game, and if you just want to recede into the background, um, you know, New England fans will love him. And But, you know, when he makes an announcement that he's doing this CBD thing, okay, fine, whatever. But the fact that there's still that little hint of he might come back and he's playful about it I think is smart. It keeps him in the, keeps him in the front of – in the in the front page as opposed to in the back page, and I think that's um, I think that's shows you how, you know we talk about his his antics and his the party boy frat boy thing, but he's a really smart dude, and I think they're they're playing the game pretty well. I don't expect we'll see him now. I think that that actually the one thing that came out of that press conference obviously was to me that the thirty seconds of emotion there where he he clearly football put him in a bad place. Right and now he's not in that place anymore. And is he going to miss the game? Absolutely. He's been doing it and been dominating, and it's a big part of his identity. But I think he likes the way he feels, and I would be I would be not shocked, but I would be surprised if he came back this year. I just don't think – just the way he talked, it seemed to me like he's ready to at least take the year off and then, and then see. Do you feel used as a media member with his constant teases of he might come back? He's not sure. It could be one week. It could be a few months. It could be a few years. Is that is that annoying to you guys? Obviously, I'm sure you have a good relationship with Gronk because he's such a likable guy. But do you feel a little used as a media member? I mean, it's a little bit much, you know, because yeah. it's because he's making the rounds too, and it's you know every day there for for that week there was something you know he went he did a different sit down or a different podcast and 
the answer would be a little bit different. And you got to, well, wait, was he, was he just caught up in the emotion there? And what's he saying here? But um, look, I, he, he, uh, I guess he drives coverage, right? So right. from a media perspective, the more guys that drive the coverage, the better it is. You don't want a, you don't want a boring team. You want things happening. You want personalities. And uh, he certainly gives us plenty of that. Well, with the Patriots, it's never boring, especially with Antonio Brown coming along and Josh Gordon. There's a lot. But as I said, I want to transition to your career. You started at Comcast Sports, at least not in the very beginning of your career. I know you were doing some local sports on the Cape. You're at NECN. But you're well known for your time at Comcast Sports, which is now NBC Sports Boston. You were a Patriots reporter. And then you moved to NFL Network. How has the change gone for you? Why did you make the change? How has it gone so far in your new role? Uh, I I love it. Um, it you know, I, at the time it was a tough decision, you know, because NBC wanted me to stay, and you know, there's you build so many good relationships with people over the years, and you know, like I knew what I would be doing, and I knew how that job went, and I knew the sort of the 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 hurdles that would have to be overcome on a daily basis. But you know it; it's the you know the known versus the unknown. Um, so I struggled a little bit with making the decision. And I would say probably about three days into the new gig last summer, I was like, what a just waste of time to even have debated this. This is the best thing I huh. ever did. And uh, it just, it's been, it's been really, really good. It's been, I always, you know, football is my first love. And I always wanted to, to sort of be, as much as I love the other sports too, and doing all of it, having done it for as long as I did, it's really nice to be able to just be fully immersed into that culture of one sport and not have to worry about, you know, who's the, who's the, who's the 12th man on the Celtics and, you know, the Red Sox bullpen problems. I mean, those are now my problems as a fan, but not as a, not as I need to know everything about everybody and what pitches he throws. I I just, now I watch and I get frustrated like everybody else because I'm a fan. I don't have to worry about, covering it and trying to be on top of everything that happens with, with the other teams. Like I, I, I loved the Stanley cup run for the Bruins obviously didn't end the way we would have liked, but having covered that team for a while uh, and just the overall personality of hockey guys, I love the hockey guys. Um, I had, I had a blast watching that for two months, you know, screaming at my TV, you know, high five in my kids, and, you know, chest bump in the dog or whatever. Like, you know, it was just, that was fun until the, until the very end there. <laughs> right. And you mentioned, three days you knew it was the right decision. What did you recognize in those, in that first week, those first few days that you knew was the right call? Uh, the, the, the freedom that my bosses allowed me to sort of determine what was important, what I wanted to do, and then just give me the freedom to go do it. You know, when there's at least in the, and this, you know, it's just different places have different workflow, different environments. Like, you know, the, the workflow at NBC was more, it was a collaborative thing, and some producer would see something on Twitter from another reporter and say, "Well, that's important." Or how come we didn't get that? And he'd be like, "Well, because that guy was having a private private conversation in one corner of the room when I was in the other corner of the room doing something else." You know, you can't. And it's just nice to be able to go in there with sort of. I mean, obviously with Antonio Brown, we're just all Antonio Brown all the time right now. But in general, hey, you know what? I want to do this. Okay, do it. There's not, you know, that's. It's nice that after all these years, you kind of have the ability to um, and the trust almost instantly to just trust your journalistic integrity, just trust your 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 ideas about what needs to be covered, what's important, what people are going to want to hear from or or who they want to hear from and and let you do it. So that was just was a nice breath of fresh air. 
And I saw in a Boston.com article about your departure, which there was a lot of attention about it. You said, quote, because of the nature of social media, when people say nice things about you, it's always a surprise. It's been kind of overwhelming, actually. What did you make of all the attention you got? What did you make of when you told people the reaction you had from fans, other media members? What was that process like for you? Uh, it was a little bit emotional, you know, like, because again, you, especially in-house, you establish these relationships, the relationship that I have with, with obviously with Tom Curran, having worked with him right. every day for 10 years and, and Phil, the last, Phil Perry, the last few years, you, you become close to those people. And it's um, people behind the scenes, the, the camera guys who are a great follow on Twitter. Oh, great. <laughs> Glenn Gleason and Bill Messina. Uh, I, I've worked with both of them for 20 years. And that's hard to, because they're not just coworkers. They're, they're really good friends. I, you know, I consider Glenn like a brother. And it's, you know, hey, bud, guess what? And it's like, oh, I'm really excited for you. But at the same time, it, there's the emotion of we're probably not going to work together ever again. You know, we see each other. We see each other in press conferences and locker rooms and all that stuff. We still have a relationship. We're still friends, you know, but it's every day that sort of grind. That, that was hard. It was definitely very hard. In addition to the relationships, were there other things that you took away from your time at Comcast Sportsnet? Were there certain ways you improved as a sports reporter, as a sports journalist that you're going to take into your new job here at the NFL Network? Yeah, I think, you know, like uh, for me, especially when I was younger, you know, you're 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 a little bit wide eyed when you first come in. And right. I, I think as I've grown as a reporter, a journalist, I'm really able to narrow my focus now. Like there's, there's not very often where I go into a locker room and I don't have an idea of what I want to do. Like it's just rare. And I'd say when I was younger, there'd be plenty of time where I'd go in there and be like, I don't really know what I want to do today. You know? And that's, um, and that's just growing. That's becoming more confident in your abilities. Um, and just knowing, you know, whether it's the people that you work for and how they think, or just, you know, you just refine your overall approach that just to be able to do that just makes life so much easier. You're not, I don't want to say work doesn't cause me stress because it's work. It's a lot easier now to do as crazy as the the environment and the way the business is now than it was for me 15, 20 years ago, for sure. What do you think is key for being a good sports reporter and especially a good sports reporter in Boston? As you said, you were young and you were there for many years and wide eyed, but what would you tell young sports reporters, young sports journalists trying to make it in the sports media field, but especially in the sports media field in the Boston area? Well, I think we see a lot now. I mean, because of the way the business is trending um, and the budget considerations now, uh, you're seeing a lot of less experienced people get more high profile jobs. And I think there's a fair amount of time where those people, through no fault of your own, you're not going to not take the job uh, the, the dream job because you realize to yourself, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for this, or I don't know if I have enough right. experience. You ha you obviously have to take it. Um, but I would say that there, are, I would caution people to not read their per press clippings. I would caution people to, um, you got to constantly work at it. I, you know, we, people think it's easy and I'm look, it's not digging a ditch. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the physical labor, the backbreaking, but I, I just think there's a cerebral approach to it. And I just, I think people really have to keep working at their craft. Like I, I'm still far from a finished product and I've been doing it for 20 years. And I would think that you would talk to, um, I think you talk to anybody that's good. And I, I don't know whether you would put me in that category of good, but I, I think they would say the same thing. Cause I, I just, 
you constantly have to evolve. It's the, you know, what were they, you always see the athletes say now, like, oh, you're either getting better or you're getting worse, you know, and it's such a cliche, blah, whatever kind of quote, but it's, I think it applies to everything. You're either getting better as a, as a reporter or you're getting worse. You're either getting better as an anchor, you're getting worse. And to me, the only way to get better is to constantly get reps and to constantly study it, if you will, you know, like, Hey, that guy's good. Why is he good? What does he do? You know, can I pick up something from somebody else? Like be yourself. Like I remember when I first started, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place here, but when I first started Binghamton, New York was my first TV job working for the ABC station. I was the anchor Monday through Friday, sports anchor, six o'clock, 11 o'clock, do the morning sports. Got a lot of good reps there. Uh, you know, work basically six days a week cause I didn't want to be there, <laughs> you know? So, so the, I, I realized early on, all right, this is a, this is a great place for my career. It's a miserable place for my family. So I, how do I get out of here quickly? And I determined early on, just work more, get more reps. I used to tape every sports cast, go home and watch it, probably pick myself apart till I was bleeding. But, you know, that was the whole, the whole point of it. And I was fortunate enough to get out of there in 15 months and get back to Boston. And that's, I think, you know, part of it was contacts and relationships, but part of it was just I was going to grind. And I still, like – Every once in a while, someone might look at me and say, you know, you probably don't have to do that now. <laughs> and I'll say, I don't know any other way to do it, but that way, you know? So, yeah, I, I just think that that is such an important part of it is just to, to keep, keep on the grind. Just keep trying to learn. Keep trying to get better. Don't, don't sell it. You have a bad day. Turn around. Get back at it the next day. Learn from what you did wrong and, you know, try to be better that day. That's really what it comes down to is just keep working. And in what ways do you think you've improved? You said you're always trying to get better. In what ways are you trying to get better when you were younger? And another part of the question is you had mentioned that you tried to look at people who were doing a very good job and learn from them. Was there anyone in the Boston sports area that you specifically learned from or thought they were very good at their jobs and tried to emulate what they did? Well, I would say when I was first started anchoring, um, you know, that was in the, I'm old. So that was in the era of the, you know, the Dan Patrick, Olbermann, Kilbourne. Yeah. You know, I guess Rich Eisen sort of, you know, more maybe on the back end of that. Um, and they they were so much fun to watch that I tried to be like them. And then I realized that's not who I am. Like when you're when all else fails, you have to be who you are. And I think I sort of just developed my own who, who I am as a person. I'm a little bit snarky. Um, that's kind of how I come across on the air, you know, like I just. <laughs> Cause that's who I am. I don't want to be an actor out there. I just want to be what I am. And, um, I think that that served me well, uh, as far as for who I watched, um, in Boston, like I was fortunate enough to have two great internships when I was at BU, um, one with channel seven, eight WHCH. And that sports department then was, uh, Gene Levanchi, who of course now the morning anchor at Fox 25, um, Gary Gillis, who to, for my money, and Gary's been out of the business for a while, but for my money was the best storyteller, uh, best writer in Boston that I ever came across. And Fran Charles has gone to do a bunch of national stuff. And uh, I was in that environment for four or five months with a couple of really good producers too, Andy Sugg, Frank Shore. And it was my first real introduction to day-to-day life in that environment. And that was awesome. Um, you know, Gene and I still keep in touch, uh, just, 
just an awesome group to to work with and learn from. And then, you know, I went on to have a long internship at NECN, which really probably helped me get back to Boston as fast as I did in part, um, working for Maury Levine um, and working with Howard Green, who was, again, someone who's gotten out of the business, but at the time, just to, like, hey, he was really good on TV, but also just a, he, he was a grinder too. And like, sort of identified with that. So I, I think those guys, Mike Lynch, obviously legend. I've been fortunate enough to be friends with Mike and, you know, just watch him work sometimes. And it's, uh, you can always pick up a little something, something right. like I've guy like Lynchy or, um, yeah. I mean, a guy like Lynchy would go and do a live sports cast with no notes. He just was right there, you know, he had like a bullet point and he just would be able to do, he'd tell a story and tell it beautifully with, uh, you know, just completely off the cuff. And I, you know, that <laughs> kind of strive to be able to do that too, like turn it around fast and be able to tell it in a, in a way. Um, Tom Curran's great at that. Tom can, Tom can find words like maybe nobody I've ever worked with. Um, you know, part of that's him being a writer, but he's just, his, that's how his brain works. And it's pretty, it's pretty awesome to be around. Yeah. I think the relationship between you and Tom and Phil at the end was great. And Tom is still awesome on NBC Sports Boston. So it was always great watching you guys. I have one more question for you, and then I'll let you go. I really, again, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're really busy. I couldn't have a Patriots reporter on without asking about Bill and how it is handling Belichick every day. What is it like dealing with Belichick every day, asking him questions, and what is the key to dealing with him and not taking it personally? Because I know that... I don't know if it was a couple of years ago, you were the one who asked whether the quarterback position would be evaluated after the Kansas City loss. So what is it like dealing with Bill? What What is the key? What would you tell other reporters who have to do it? Uh, so he went, again, just to show you, like, you've been around it for a long time. So when I was younger, like, if he zipped you, it hurt. Right, for sure. <laughs> you were intimidated. You were embarrassed. You know, like, you took it personal. And now that I'm older and just don't, uh, not that I don't care about my job, but I just, you know, whatever he's Bill. this is the way he's going to be. I'm going to ask him the question that I want to ask him and he's going to answer it the way he wants to answer it. And sometimes that means he actually gives you an answer. And sometimes that means he looks at like you looks at you like you're the dumbest person in the room and you know, he wants you to disappear. But like I said, in the old day I would melt. And now I just kind of smile at him because it's just, you just know like, okay, that's fine. And I think that's, I've seen some young people come through there now that are, you know, they've been covering for a few years and you can see the same sort of growth. Like I took it personally early and now, hey, my job's to ask the questions. And if you don't, you know, look, we don't always ask the perfect question. We don't phrase it right or whatever, but he knows we got a job to do. He's got a job to do. And sometimes we're able to meet and make it happen. And sometimes it's a complete debacle because he just doesn't want to deal with it. But we still got to ask the questions. You get it all the time. You see it like You'll hear sports radio people call, the callers call in, or you'll get it on Twitter like, why are you guys asking that question? You didn't ask that question. <laughs> Look, we give him an opportunity to put it on the record. What he chooses to do with that once we put it out to him is entirely up to him. And at least I can say to my boss, hey, look, we needed to ask about Antonio Brown. We asked about Antonio Brown in this past, and he told us, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know whether it was true or not, which, of course, he knows it's true. He did his research on him, but again, not going to give us that. And then, well, you guys all said that about Randy Moss when he came here. So, okay, fine. Well, he put that on record. Or sometimes they'll just say, I already talked about that. Or sometimes they'll say, well, refer to the statement. Okay, but this isn't part of the statement. Refer to the statement. All right, fine. I, I gave you a chance and you, you do what you want with it. 
like I said, the ultimate in job security for him. Well, I have so much respect for you, for anyone who has to deal with Bill on a day-to-day basis. I knew if I had a podcast and I had you on, you gave me snarky response after snarky response for 20 minutes, I wouldn't appreciate it. So I have a lot of respect for you guys doing that every day, and it can't be easy. But I don't want to take any much more of your time. Thanks so much for joining me, Mike. I really appreciate it. It was just really interesting to hear your perspective, both working at NBC Sports Boston and now at NFL Network. So make sure to follow Mike Chiardi on Twitter, at Mike Chiardi, and follow his Patriots and NFL coverage on NFL Network. And make sure to tune in to all this stuff. He's great on the air. Thanks again to Mike Chiardi for coming on the podcast. As I said, it was great getting his perspective on working at NBC Sports Boston and now at NFL Network. It was just great timing to get an NFL reporter in for the start of the Patriots season. Now, as we discussed with him, I just want to touch on those topics a little bit more briefly to end the podcast here. Number one, the Patriots. Big 33-3 33-3 win on Sunday night over the Steelers, as I mentioned. Brady, I thought, was awesome. The fact that he's 42 years old, I know it's cliche, but it's ridiculous. He looked better in this game than he did last year. 24 of 36, 341 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. I thought Tom was awesome. His center, the backup center, was brutal, I thought. Just giving a lot of slow snaps people were talking about on Twitter. And it didn't seem to bother Tom, and Dom said it didn't really make much of a difference. So, Tom was great. Dorsett, as I mentioned, with Mike Giardi was awesome. Two touchdowns. Edelman was good, as always. I thought Josh Gordon was great. On the defensive end, I thought Jason McCourty was awesome, and I thought he really improved throughout the year last season because I used to not be a Jason McCourty guy. But I thought he came out ready to go. As we talked about Mike Giardi, the whole secondary, the whole defensive backs were fantastic. Gilmore only allowed a couple of catches to Juju. I thought Patrick Chung was great making tackles left and right. The whole team came ready to play, and the defense... As I mentioned before with Mike, it's very exciting. It's going to be one of the best defenses that they've had in some time. I just think the tackling is so impressive for this team, how they play up on guys now. They're just so much better at covering one-on-one, and they're going to be a more aggressive team because of it. So it used to drive me and my dad and my friends nuts with this passive defense. It's not passive anymore, and it's just great to see, especially just they used to have a lot of one-arm tackles, a lot of arm tackles, and they just were not a very good tackling team. Last year, they had a great defensive performance in the Super Bowl, and now they look great in Game 1. So, how far can this team go? As you look at the schedule here, they got Dolphins, Jets, Bills, Redskins, Giants, Jets, Browns in their next amount of games here. Then Week 9, they have the Ravens. That's one potential loss. Cowboys after that, another potential loss. That'd be two. Texans, meh. That might be a three. Chiefs, four. Then Bengals, Bills, Dolphins, you'd think would all wins. So, at the very least, they're going to be 12-4. and four. At the max, it is possible they can go 19-0. I think, honestly, the one game that's going to be tough is against the Chiefs. If they beat the Chiefs, this team could go 19-0. They're that good, especially with getting Antonio Brown on a team that looked as good as they did in Game 1. And usually with the passing, especially last year, they start off slow. Started 2-2, two and two, I believe, was last season. Generally, it takes for the the offense to take a while to come together, and the defense as well. The fact that both of these groups played so well, so efficiently against, let's be honest, I know the Steelers are morons, and Mike Tomlin doesn't seem to make an adjustment. They do what they do, which is so stupid against the Patriots. But 
they're still one of the best teams in the league. The fact that the Pats dominated them in Game 1 is a great sign for the regular season because the Pats usually take at least four games to get going. And, you know, I joke about it all the time. I know Barcel jokes about it. This is the preseason for us. It really is. Joking aside, not being a massle, this is the preseason. It's to get us ready for the playoffs, get us ready for the AFC Championship game, where it's the first game of the year, and then we see what happens, then we might get to the Super Bowl, and that's the season. And the fact that they're better this year, especially in Game 1 than they were last year, coming off a win is unbelievable. And I did want to transition to the Antonio Brown news because, first of all, the fact that they looked this good and they're getting a guy like Antonio Brown is puzzling to me. They don't need Antonio Brown. That is very, very clear. The fact that they dominated the Steelers 33-3 game one, they don't need this guy to win the Super Bowl. They had Gronk last year, yes, but if they have a solid Josh Gordon, they're going to figure it out. And they have a lot of weapons at the running back position. They still have Edelman. Dorsett looked great. The defense looks phenomenal. There's no reason this team shouldn't win another Super Bowl without Antonio Brown. Even beyond the risks of a guy like him coming in here, and again, he is a risk, and Felger Mass talked about it yesterday, and it's true. It is a risk. This is not a risk-free situation. This is a unique, special type of annoying personality. And I think he's different than a Randy Moss. I think he's different than a Corey Dillon, and different than a Dalius Thomas or other guys that have come in here. This guy is brutal to watch, especially the what he has done with Oakland. And if it's true that he did all this just get released, it's just a horrible look. I'm not going to say this guy's not going to make them better. I'm not going to say this guy's not going to get in line because he very well could. What else is he going to do? Act like the same idiot he has acted in the past month or so? At some point, he has to play football. And I could totally see him helping this team. But... From a moral perspective, and I'm not going to say the Patriots ever a moral team, nor is any professional team in sports. The guys like Aaron Hernandez, they knew what Aaron Hernandez was up to, even if not murdering people, they knew that he was bad news. And it doesn't matter in sports. It doesn't matter if it's the Patriots, it doesn't matter if it's another team. Teams only care about if you're going to help them win, and eventually if you're going to be enough bad PR to get rid of you. And right now, it's like basically a clean slate for Antonio Brown. That's how Belichick looks at it. And as a Pats fan, how can you root for this guy? And... Let's get rid of the bogus mass hole joking, oh yeah, happy to have him on board, part of the family, blah, blah, blah. I get it's all joking, and you can act like it's a joke, and that's fine, and I get it. You know, we love for other people to hate us, another reason to hate us, that's all great and well and good. But for Bill to want a guy like this, if you had any respect for Bill, which honestly, I really don't have that much respect for him as a person, he was a football coach as a person, I really don't, but he's just undermining other coaches in the league, and Felgerman has talked about this, this is not a new point, but he totally is. He threw his coach under the bus. He threw his general manager under the bus. And Belichick just comes in and swoops this guy up. And it's a horrible look. And I posted on Twitter that Josh Gordon is a guy who is so worth rooting for. Antonio Brown is not. And someone tweeted at me saying, can you imagine having this bad of a take? Are you kidding? Josh Gordon is a very likable guy. Seems like a good kid who has battled addiction and mental illness. And... The guy needs a break, and he doesn't seem to have a huge ego, and he seems to want to get in line and do the whole Patriot way, cliche, quote-unquote. And you're not going to root for a guy who's suffered from mental illness? A guy who's suffered drug addiction? Which is not really a choice, because once you do it, if you're addicted to it or you have mental illness, that's not a choice. For anyone who knows about that, it's ridiculous to say it's a choice. To root for Antonio Brown over this guy is perplexing to me, and how can you root for this guy? This guy is everything that's wrong in sports. He's everything of why we hate Kyrie Irving. Put him up like 50 times. 
Antonio Brown's an egotistical maniac. Seems like a terrible dude. And to want him as a Patriots fan, it's not all about winning. We can win without this guy. It's not. You have to like the players that are on your team. Look at Kyrie Irving. And yeah, obviously, if Kyrie Irving won, we would have accepted him. However, there's a reason why the Celtics didn't play well with Kyrie Irving's personality. And Felger talked about this yesterday, and it's a great point. In that we couldn't stand Kyrie Irving. Egotistical maniac. All about him. This is the same type of guy. And everyone knows that. And the fact that he's here, I can't root for him. And, you know, if he says, doesn't say a word, he gets in line, by week eight, he's playing great, then fine. You know, maybe I'll change my tune. But right now, I can't root for this guy. He's a horrible look. He's a horrible role model. And he's everything that's wrong in sports. So the Patriots to bring a guy like this in after he left his other team, I think is despicable. It's a horrible look. And I can't, I can't root for it. Now, to transition to the Red Sox, <laughs> speaking of horrible looks, the ownership decided to fire Dave Dombrowski at midnight on the first game of the season, Sunday night. Talk about a news dump with 18 games left in the season. The Sox are out of it. And they had another loss to the Yankees last night. It's officially over. They're out of the AL Reese race. They're eight back with 18 to go in the wild card race. It's just not happening. But talk about a bad look. First of all, the Sox have been out for a while. So why they chose on a Sunday night at this point in the season to let them go, I don't know. Just wait till the season ends. That's number one. Number two, they're going to try to hide it at midnight on a Sunday night. And then the owners are going to have a press conference. And I know I'm not the only one talking about this as well. It's a horrible look. And making Alex Cora and the players answer for it is just a really bad look, bad leadership, bad management, and the Sox ownership never ceases to amaze me how horrible they are with PR. I don't know why they're so bad at it. You hold a press conference when you fire someone and you say either I made a mistake, he made a mistake, whatever, you answer the questions the press has to say. To not have a press conference is unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable to other Media members who cover the team, the Sox ownership never ceases to amaze. And when I look at a good leader, I look at Alex Cora taking responsibility, saying he feels guilty, the players do as well. And I think it just speaks to the great leadership they have in Alex Cora and why we like this guy. This guy connects with his players. He clearly connects with the people above him. He doesn't throw anyone under the bus. And he was the one answering the questions when it should have been the ownership. So horrible look for the ownership. Cora, although he didn't have a great year, still looks great as a character guy. And it was brutal to see. But I'm going to do my final recap of the season for the Red Sox when it is officially over. But in short, it's over. It's disappointing. They're on pace for around 86 wins, which since 2002 is tied for their fourth worst record in the last 17 years, which says a lot. It shows the consistency of this team. Obviously, in 2015, 2014, 2012, they were terrible. 2006, they had around 86 wins. But it's an underachievement. It's that plain and simple. I'll get to it more at the end of the season in about a month or so. Hopefully I'm going to have Steve Peralta on the podcast. But until then, thank you so much for listening. You can check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.